There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. engine light on take the guesswork out of your check engine light with o'reilly veriscan it's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASC certified master technicians and if you need help we can recommend a shop for you ask for o'reilly veriscan today oh, 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 O'Reilly. auto parts Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 368. And today on the show, we are covering the 10 steps to your best deer hunting season ever and discussing our first whitetail hunt of the season. All right, welcome to the Wired Hunt Podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today on the show, it is myself and Josh Furter Hilliard. Josh. How you doing? You don't like it when I call you Furter. Well, I mean. I, you did this little shake of the head. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Uh, it. It's all fun and games. <laughs> I don't have a choice anymore, I don't think, to change it now. So No, man. It's locked in stone. Um, so here's what we're going to do today. Um, we, I, thought that with hunting seasons opening up across the country, right? Our season started today. You and I out, were out here in Idaho on our public land whitetail hunt. We just had our very first hunt of the year tonight. Um, our seasons are kicking off. People are kicking off in North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kentucky, all over the place. And then a bunch of seasons opening up for the next couple of weeks. I thought we'd kind of do my beginning of the season pep talk episode. Every few years I try to do this, just kind of laying out some key things to think about. And I thought rather than it be just me lecturing folks, um, why don't the two of us talk through a handful of things? Um, I'll kind of lay out some of these ideas. Basically what I've done is is compile a list of 10 different, I don't know if it's steps, it's more so 10 different reminders of important things to keep in mind throughout the hunting season that's going to help you. Some of these are, are, are kind of tactical things. Some of these are more mindset things. Um, and some are beginner, some are a little bit more advanced. But I think regardless of if you're a new hunter or if you are a very experienced hunter, there's something in here that will be helpful to you to keep in mind over the course of the next four months, right? Because you can never stop learning. You can never have this stuff figured out enough. So, you know, if this all sounds like something you've heard before as we're discussing it, think about, okay, how do I actually execute some of these things this coming season? Or can I pick one of these things to try to really focus on and get better at this thing? Um, that's how you grow is, is by kind of taking uh, purposeful, meaningful, focused practice or attention to detail specific things. And, and I think that's what we can do here. So some ideas are walk through these 10 things. And then after that, we got to tell everybody about our hunt tonight because we had a hell of a hunt. We had a good one tonight. I, I still can't really <laughs> wrap my head around what happened to you tonight, Furter. Furter had a hell of a hunt, guys. I had, had, had a really fun night. Um, so we're going to tell you about that after we run through our 10 steps or 10 reminders to your best deer hunting season ever. We'll keep this one kind of quick because I know folks want to get out in the woods. The seasons are opening, so let's not spend too much time sitting in the truck listening to people talk about it. Let's actually get out there and do it. So... 
Uh, here's what I'm thinking, Josh. I'm going to bring up each one of these different topics. I'll kind of lay out some of my thoughts or ideas on it. And then if you've got any examples or if you've got questions or if you've got something else you want to add to it, um, jump in and do that. Sounds good. Um, and we'll just kind of take it from there and then we'll get into story time. So here we go. 10 steps to your best deer hunting season ever. I think one of the first things to keep in mind, if you are, especially if you are taking that step to trying to hunt for bucks or especially mature bucks, what I'm going to tell you here is is something that just is crucial. And that is the fact that the details are everything. All the little things matter. I, I go back to, and I, I bring this up a lot, but Mark D'Antonio, the former coach of Michigan State football, always said that it was a game of inches. And that stuck with me. It's those little inches along the way that lead to first downs, which leads to touchdowns, which lead to games won. And the same thing applies to whitetail hunting. It's the little things. It's, it's um, you know, making sure that you've got your whole process down when it comes to setting up your saddle and sticks. And so you're, you're well thought through and planned and how you're going to do it. And you can do it quietly and effectively. It's a little thing like taping a buckle so that, when you drop a strap and it bangs against the side of your sticks, it doesn't make that ding. It's a little detail like thinking through exactly how the wind direction might change partway through your day. It's, it's, it's not glossing over things. And it's so easy to do, and I am guilty of it a lot, where I want to gloss over things. And sometimes I still do, even when I know it's not the right thing. Um, but I try really hard not to do this. Um, but the details can be a pain in the ass like trying to have to worry about all the little things like on our hunt tonight, right? I mean, there's so many little things that you don't want to worry about. Ah, right. <clears throat> the wind direction is this certain direction when we're heading in. And then you can either just ignore it or you can take a calculated risk or you can go do something totally different. And then you got to think about, okay, now how am I going to set up my stand in a position so that I can get a shot and I can get access without spooking deer and I can get out without spooking deer and I need to be able to be covered in the tree and I need to be able to you know, move around. All these different things you have to think about. Every little tiny thing does matter. Sure, especially on a first hunt, right? Like first one of the year. I mean, yeah. you're rusty, you're not used to, you know, by the time November comes around, you're usually a well-oiled machine, but you know, I, I'm guilty of forgetting something almost every year my first time. I've, I forgot my arrows in my truck. I, I forgot my quiver in my truck one year. So, I yeah. mean, the, the first hunt is always, you know, attention to details make such a big different difference on that first one especially. Yeah, which brings to mind something that a little tool you can use that helps you pay attention to these details. And I think... When it's something that's kind of floating around in your head, it's easy to ignore something or move on from something. But it's a lot easier to follow through on things when you write them down. So, for example, if you know there are some little things that you want to take care of before opening day, like taping the straps on your sticks or like making sure your tree stands aren't squeaking, or you want to get better at making sure you follow through on your entire scent control regimen that you know you should do, but you inevitably skip steps because you're tired or lazy or whatever, you don't want to do it all. If there's something like that, and, and it's a good idea in a lot of cases with, with all these things to try to not necessarily tackle everything, but pick a few things to focus on. So write a few of these things down and say, you know what, this year, I'm going to nail that thing or these three things. I'm going to make sure I pay attention to the details of, you know, in this case, keeping your stand and sticks and everything perfectly silent. There's a little detail thing that can actually make a big difference. Huge difference. Um, so that's, that's a high-level concept of sorts that can apply to a lot of different aspects of your deer hunting life of a given season. But try to try to just always not cut yourself slack when it comes to these things. When you find yourself wanting to cut the corner, try to remember, dang it, those inches matter. I got to pay attention to the details. Yep. I'm just going to do it. It's like when I was a kid, I used to right, ignore my mom when she told me to go clean my room or vacuum the stairs or do this thing or that. And I would like try to push it off as long as possible and find some way to skirt around it and get away with not doing as much. But at some point along the way, I realized that my life... It would be better and easier if I just like 
took it on the chin and just did it right away. Just get it done and over with. Do the hard thing right away, and then the rest of your life is so much better. And that's kind of the thing with deer hunting is do the hard, annoying, detailed things sometimes. Just do it. Get it done. Check the box and then move on rather than letting that thing nag at you knowing like, ah, I should have done that. So that's number one. Number two, this is a more tactical idea, but keep this in mind throughout your hunts. And again, none of this is new stuff. These are things that we've talked about over many episodes with many different guests and everyone has their own take on it. So what I'm trying to do here is synthesize a few of the most important concepts and talk about them in a more general way that you can maybe apply to whatever circumstances you're in. So here's something that we've talked to a lot of people about, and that is the importance of the first sit. The first time you go into a spot is often your very best opportunity at a buck, right? Because you're going to have deer that very quickly pick up on what you're doing. We know that one of the greatest challenges we have as hunters is trying to keep deer from becoming educated as to what we're doing trying to hunt them. So one of the best ways to keep them uneducated is to keep changing it up. So that means one of two things. Either it means waiting to go in to hunt certain places till the right time so that that first time you go in is the right time. Or number two, it's have a lot of first sits. So don't hunt the same place over and over and over. Hunt a spot. Swing for the fences there and then move to a new spot. Get your first set there and then move to a new spot. Get your spot there. And you can do that in several ways. You can do that by having a bunch of tree stands all over your properties. Or you can do that by being mobile like we are on this hunt. We both got our saddles and sticks. And we snuck in today. We hung our, hung our saddles and sticks, hunted. And at dark, we pulled them all down and we're going to move for tomorrow. Yep. Yep. So that's a great way to always be in a fresh spot. Keep those deer guessing they are not going to know where you're going to be tomorrow right. because they've had no idea. Right. And that's going to put you in a better position. Yeah, and just like, you know, I, I hunted a, I, I got access to a new lease last year and it hadn't been hunted in a while. And my first time out there, I had a shot opportunity passed on a buck. That would have been one of my best bucks. I, I just, you know, didn't take the shot and never really had an opportunity, but I don't think I would have anyway. And, um, you know, first time out there and, they had no idea, and first time out tonight, I think we can talk about that a little bit later, but you know, I think we both had you know a good first sit in a, in a new spot. Yeah, Definitely man. something to be said for that. The first sit, it is a powerful, powerful thing, and so many people can point to that. Um, it's, it's something you want to preserve or create, so keep that in mind. Let's jump over to another mindset thing. This is something... More and more and more, and I want to dive into this further in future episodes, but I see deer hunting, like becoming a good deer hunter is, is a two-part thing. One part is understanding deer and deer behavior and, and strategy stuff there. Like what is a deer going to do in certain situations and how do I account for that? But then the other side is decision-making. It's understanding how to analyze all these different inputs, all these different things, what I scouted what I saw, what the weather is, what the time of year is, taking all these different things and then try to have some kind of model to process that and come to the right decision. That's a lot harder than people give it credit for. And that has got me kind of fascinated in a whole bunch of weird wormholes around decision-making, around mindset, around human psychology and how we can apply that. And one thing that I have dove into a little bit, this is getting a little wonk, not a little, a lot wonky, is is ancient philosophy and how that can apply to, I know, you think I'm nuts. <laughs> but hear me out here. One of the most important high-level concepts that's practiced in philosophy and then just basic everyday life is this idea of understanding what you can control and what you can't. And learning to give up, not give up, but by by releasing that those things that you can't control, accepting, accepting what you can't, and taking responsibility for what you can. Yep. And if you can do those things, your life is a lot easier, a lot more fulfilling, a lot more successful. And that applies to general life, and it really applies to deer hunting. There's so many things in the deer hunting world where I found myself in the past stressing out, getting upset, getting pissed, getting frazzled about some kind of situation that 
if I were to take a step back, I'd realize, man, a lot of these things are out of my control. Like the neighbor started driving up and down the property line and shooting his gun, something like that. I can get pissed about it and tell all my friends about it and let it ruin my night and ruin my week of hunting and blame everything that goes wrong on this guy. Or I can say, all right, this bad thing happened. I have no control over it. I have no control over what happens next, in, you know, at least in regards to what this neighbor does. So all I can do is this. That's water under the bridge. The only thing I can control is how do I react to it. That's what you have control over. So, Josh, if you miss a deer, you can't get that arrow back, right? That thing happened. You can't it's control done. it anymore. Yep. All you can control is what you do next. What are you going to do about tomorrow? Go you shoot gonna- your bow and try to you know, fix the fix whatever was going on. And, yeah, I mean, you just got to get back on the horse and – and uh, keep going. Yep. And you know, I had that situation last year. Yeah. So, and dwelling on it and pissing and moaning about it and feeling bad about it, that doesn't, it, nope. it doesn't achieve anything, right? Nope. Yeah, I think so many times it's once you turn that corner and you say, okay, that happened. Now what? I think that phrase right there, now what, is, is an important one. Whenever something crappy happens this upcoming hunting season, when someone steals your trail camera, when you miss a buck, when your neighbor shoots the buck you were after, when you lose access to your best farm, except, okay, that thing happened, now what? That is the superpower that you have, is you have this superpower to make the next decision. Yep. You can turn that page, and the sooner you can do that, the sooner you get on to the next thing and yep. making good things happen. Yep, exactly. We were talking about that on the truck ride out, just like mindset and attitude and how so much of that can play into success and oh, yeah. just putting yourself in better situations by you know, having, having the right mindset, and I think that applies directly to that. Uh, topic there yeah very very true and that actually applies to one of our other key reminders here but i'm gonna jump back to a a more tactical thing and this jumps or this this is uh very related to the last one we talked about the importance of those first sits those fresh sits one of the things you can do to make sure you have more fresh sits is to preserve your best spots for the right times and this is something that we've talked a lot about over the years that I've focused on a lot about over the years. We've talked to Mark Drury about this a lot, understanding different factors and conditions that can help you pinpoint your best possible chances when the possible odds of success are as high as, as they possibly can be because of outside factors like barometric pressure or temperature changes or precipitation or you know observations or time of year. Um, a big, 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 big change in my deer hunting success came when I started realizing that you can't just sit stuff over and over. You've got to have certain places for certain times of year and certain places for certain situations when you think that, okay, this is this is game time. This is a killing day. When you've got those killing days, you got to go to a killing spot. And then there's other days where the conditions aren't so great. And you can do one of two things. You can sit at home on the couch or you can go and, and hunt secondary spots or hunt a wild card spot or hunt some public land. Get out there, learn, have yep. some fun. Maybe you'll get lucky. Um, but when it comes to those special, special spots, save them for the right times. Try to preserve those fresh sits as much as possible or the really aggressive sits. Try to time your aggressive moves to better conditions so that when you do swing for the fences with, um, you know, diving into hunt a bedding area or a buck bed, you know, Andre DeQuisto talks about this. He will, you know, bump a buck and find out where his bedding area is, but then sometimes he'll try to time uh, his return trip to when there's a good moon time. He's a big believer in the moon uh, positioning and how that can impact deer movement. And so he'll wait and try to see when the moon says that that buck will likely return to his bed a little bit later in the morning, going to keep him on his feet just a little bit more. So now he knows that's the time to strike because I've got that little thing in, again, back to his inches. He'll have a couple little inches more in his favor. So, you know, you can listen to four hours on this with Mark Drury if you want, or we've talked about it many times, but if there's anything I like the most, it's it's temperature drops. I'm a huge, huge believer in the power of cold fronts. Um, Barometric pressure, that seems to be one that's consistent with a lot of people. The moon thing, I still, I don't know. And then, you know, intelligence, trail camera pictures, actual observations, those things. When you see that, move on it because deer behavior can change fast. So jump on those opportunities. So Let me me ask you a question. Yeah. How are you going to apply that topic 
to this hunt. Well, we're out of state hunt. Yep. You know, we've got seven, eight, nine days, something like that to get it done. We kind of dove in tonight mm-hmm. at, in some good spots. We've got some not so great weather coming up, yep. like pushing 90 degrees. Yep. How are you going to put that into motion here on our hunt? Yeah. Know. So that's an interesting one because I would actually in a situation where you've got a very limited amount of time, I would kind of push some of that out of the way. And I wouldn't worry as much because right, right, the right time to strike is the few days you have. Mm-hmm. Like you, so you just got to take advantage yep. of the few days you have. So in that case, you know, even if the temperature gets hot, we still got to hunt. We still got to sure. try to make the best of our couple of days. Even if the barometric pressure of the moon's wrong, we still got to go and hit our good spots because this could be our only chance. Um, but there are certain things like an observation so, for example, if I observe a deer do something, I'm going to know not necessarily that tomorrow's the day to strike. Of course, it's tomorrow's the day to do it, but you'll know where. So, you see a deer do something, immediately adjust, go in there, yep. try to get him doing it again the next day, that yep. kind of thing. You know, if you're on a long trip and you've got something really dramatic where there's, you know, it's been super 90 degrees warm forever, and then we know on the second day of the trip, that you're going to have a 30-degree cold front come through and it's going to be amazing, then I might think, yeah, okay, that first night, well, let's just scout. Let's just watch that first night because it's going to be so good the next day. Let's just observe on night number one, see exactly what they're doing, and then we can make a kill and strike the next day, a very educated move. Um, that kind of thing, maybe. Sure. But, you know, in our situation, I think we just got to keep on going. Yep, for sure. Um, so that's my take on that. And, again, there's there's so many different ways this can be applied throughout the hunting season so it could be outside factors like temperature moon blah 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 it could also be time of year so right if you're a new hunter it's important to remember there are certain times of year when you're going to have a disproportionately high chance of deer being on their feet and moving so for example if i had to pick like my strike zones the times of year that i'm you know all things being equal i'm going to feel the very best about my chances I'm going to be looking at the first few days of the hunting season before a bunch of hunters have mucked things up. You've got a really good chance. Swing swing for the fences that time of year. And then you're going to get into late October or November when you're getting to the rut phases. That's a great time to swing for the fences. Um, you know, you get into the late season. If you get certain weather mixed with the late season, like really cold and snowy temperatures in December or January, then I'm going to swing for the fences, those kind of situations. So there's a bunch of different little ways that can be applied but but think about that high level concept throughout your year pick your times pick your spots you can't you you almost play pro baseball right josh yeah. you can't you can't try for a home run on every single pitch right you gotta yeah. know the yeah. right pitches to yep. to i mean I, you, tell me you you, you throw it uh, what's a baseball stick is what you swing yeah i think this, yeah, the stick yeah <laughs> no i mean you 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 get yourself into certain pitch counts that you're more likely to get a fastball or an easier pitch to hit that you can kind of, you know, quote unquote, swing for the fences a little, a little more freely on, on those types of counts than, um, you know, other scenarios and same thing with hunting. Yeah. Um, you're going to have days where, Hey, this thing's a pitch right down the middle. You're going to that classic rut spot cause it's November 8th. Um, but you don't want to, Go sit that same spot October 1st or September 1st or whatever yeah. it is. Yep. And that takes some time to figure out, you know, you know if, if you're brand new, don't feel bad if you don't know some of these things yet. But try to pick up or, or listen when you hear other conversations, when people are talking about these different times of year, these different circumstances that that that, that influence them to do certain things. Know that very little of that's by accident most any serious and consistently successful deer hunter does not do things willy-nilly. They don't do things by accident. The people that are consistently successful do it because they have a very clear plan and they do things for a reason. Nothing's by accident. Which brings us to another high-level concept which has helped me learn a lot as I go through my deer hunting journey. And that is this, this, um, idea of always asking why, 
So when something happens, and I, I've, I've shared this anecdote many times in the past, I'll share it again, but I was hunting with, uh, with the late Craig Doherty, and we were sitting in one of his blinds in New York, and he was this very experienced, great deer hunter, and I was just a kid, I don't know, 21 or 22, and we were sitting there, and, and we were hunting what looked like a great place to me, but we weren't seeing any deer, and as the night wrapped up, um, I said, well, I guess, you know, just got unlucky, um, just how it goes sometimes. And Craig's like, no, no, something was going on tonight. There's always a reason why. Always ask why. And then he started like putting out potential things. Maybe it was this. Maybe when we accessed this blind, we didn't think about the fact that the wind was blowing into that whole cutover timber area. And that might have been where they were all better tonight. So what I try to do and what I'm actually going to try to start doing this hunting season is every day after I hunt, come back and ask why, like examine what happened tonight. What did I see? What did I not see? Why did these things happen? And if you can do that in many different ways, you can do that like I just described after a hunt, or you could do that when you're you see a buck go skirting the edge of a field or you watch a mature buck go do something. Always try to think about why that buck's doing that. Because again, mature bucks, just like consistent deer hunters, they don't do things by accident typically. They're doing something for a reason. And if you can get better and better and better at discerning that reason, you become a much better hunter. So always ask why, because that is the key, I think, to learning and growing. Yeah, that's definitely something I need to get better at ask myself why I think that's a great idea keep track of you know your observations what you're seeing and then why 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 is that what you're seeing yeah and then and so part of it is is, is a thought exercise for you right is like you the individual you're asking yourself why and then you're making guesses right you're trying to think okay these are the things I know these are the things I think I know it might be this it might be this it might be this and simply going through that exercise is going to be good for you but also don't be afraid to ask other people that are experienced get other perspectives too because yeah. that's really going to help you well, so and you may be able to start connecting dots too exactly. if, you, if you're looking at okay you know November 1st I saw him November 8th, I saw, you know, what, what, were there any similarities from those days? And, and maybe that's the reason why he was doing that. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely, definitely helps and something I want to start doing more of. Yeah. And, and this is where just having a, a good network of hunting buddies of some kind, whether that be folks you grew up with or someone you're involved in a conservation organization. If you don't have a group of hunting buddies, get involved with something like QDMA or BHA. That's a great way to get some friends that can help you out with these things. And one of my, you know, one of the favorite things during the hunting season that I enjoy is this, you know, reaching out to your buddies after something happens and say, Hey, this happened. What do you think? Why, why do you think this happened? And getting all these different ideas. Um, that's fun. And it's also really helpful. Um, so don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to ask why. You don't need to know it all. You don't need to feel bad if you don't have if you don't have an answer. Um, admitting you don't have the answer is probably the first step, and then trying to figure something out. Or, or a lot of times you probably ball. won't have an answer. Mm-hmm. But the process can help you get there someday. Yep. yep. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options, like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of sick sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. 
We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Moving on to something a little more tactical. And this is, this is just a key, consistent trait, again, of all the people that are really, really good at this thing that we talk about in the Wiretime Podcast all the time, deer hunting, scouting, scouting more. They scout more than they hunt. Scout, 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 scout. Learn. Look for details. Pay attention to tracks. Pay attention to fresh sign. Pay attention to old sign. Go back and, and study these different things. See how sign changes year after year. See how sign changes in regards to crop rotation. See how... Um, See if you can pin specific kinds of sign to, to specific deer you're after. Study trail camera pictures. Study observations from the past. Take note of these things you're seeing. Don't just walk around the woods and look at stuff, but go back and write in your journal or write on your phone in the notes that you saw this here and here and here. Or go on your maps on Onyx or wherever and mark all these things up so you can start to put the picture together. Um, it's such a simple thing, but it's easy to want to just go out there and hunt because that's you know what a lot of us yep. think of as hunting. But I can't think of anyone who's really good at this who doesn't point to the fact that they enjoy scouting a lot, but do it more than <laughs> more than the average person yeah. for sure. Yep. So so just don't discount that. This it can be in season. It can be off-season. It could be boots on the ground. It could be studying maps or studying trail camera pictures. Um, but it goes back to a lot of what we're talking about here. We have this whole puzzle that we're trying to figure out when we're trying to hunt deer. You're trying to learn what deer do, why they do it, and then you're trying to predict what they're going to do next because that's the only way you can kill a deer is by predicting what these deer are going to do. The only way we can do that is by actually getting puzzle pieces to, to build out the damn picture on the table. And the only way you get those puzzle pieces in place is by scouting. There's lots of different ways to do that, but you need those puzzle pieces. It's very hard to recreate the picture on the box if you've only got four puzzle pieces of a 1,000. So get out there, find them, do the extra work to do that. Um, an educated, well-planned-out hunt, just one like that where scouting has, has led you to have a well-informed, educated guess behind everything you're doing, one of those is worth 10 willy-nilly uninformed hunts or, or 50. Yep. It's, 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 again, something that over the last however many years we've been doing, this eight, nine years talking to the best deer hunters across the country, that is very, very, very consistent. Next, let's talk mindset again. Positive mindset but negative preparations. So here's what I'm talking about here. And this goes back to what you talked about a little earlier. I do think that there's something to be said about having a positive mindset, believing in yourself, having confidence in the fact that I'm going to make this thing work, and also being positive about the fact that, yes, bad things are going to happen, and you know, I'm not going to let that weigh me down and ruin my hunt and ruin my day and ruin my year. So what you, what you can do is, is often, at least the way I look at it, maybe it's different for different people, but it comes down to a decision. You can choose to be a negative Nancy or you can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to find some way to find silver linings. And, and a lot of these things are connected. I'm going to control what I can and I'm going to let go of what I can't. Um, and what you can do when you have that is that you become much more accept. I don't know if it's accepting, but 
Um, we've got a friend who believes that if you've got a positive mindset, it creates like an energy field that draws things to you. I'm not there yet. I don't know if I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I can't get behind that. But I do think that if you have a positive, confident, um, optimistic belief in yourself and view of the world, that you become much more able to take advantage of good things when they come about. Sure. Yep. Those opportunities, you know, someone might call it lucky, but I think, you know, what do they say? Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. It's you've you've put in the work, you've you've got the right mindset to take advantage of these things when they come along. If you are sitting there sulking about all your bad luck, all the things that went wrong, how tough your rut hunt's been. You haven't seen any deer. It's been so I'm cold. I'm gonna sit this one out. Yeah, you know, exactly. And all those count, yeah. all those things lead to you know self fulfilling prophecies. Yep. So that is the positive mindset side of things, but. I was recently listening to someone talk about the positive benefits of negative thinking, which was kind of counterintuitive, counterintuitive to me, but it makes sense. And, and her, her, her whole idea here was that the whole positive mindset thing is important, but it is also beneficial to think through and have a plan for negative possibilities. So believe in yourself. Believe and and be positive about how you're going to spin these things as a positive, but also know that hey, there likely will be potential challenges. So why don't I spend a little bit of time thinking about what will these or what could these, excuse me, what could these challenges be, and how can I plan ahead of time to to do something about it? So heading into your hunting season, get your mind right, plan on being positive, but then think about okay, hey there's some things that probably will go wrong and maybe I can do a little thinking ahead of time to be ready to deal with some of that stuff. So for example, we're on our public land hunt right now. I want to be positive and optimistic about how things are going to go, but likely some things will go wrong. Here's something that could go wrong. I bet you there's going to be other hunters out there that are going to muck things up. So before this hunt, I thought to myself, okay, probably is going to happen. There's going to be other people. So right off the bat, I need to really try hard not to get all pissy and moany and upset about that. When it happens, be like, okay, this is what it is. That's okay. How do we adjust? Okay, so there's one thing I'm thinking about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be much better at that. And, and it happened tonight, right? Mm-hmm. And we can be pissy and moaning or we can say, okay, that happened. It is what it is. How do you adjust? Yep. Uh, what else we, could we do? We're worried about other hunters. Well, have backup plans. So this year I made sure we had three very different, diverse, different types of areas where you're not dead set, stuck on any one place. We have options. So if we came in here and there's a lot of other hunters, we plan to have other options. So that's just one example of, of, of how you can do this. The, the same thing could be said for your upcoming hunting season. Like, oh, here's another example. I am so focused on trying to kill Tran, right? That's my number one target buck in Michigan, my third year hunting him. Um, you know, I spend a lot of mental bandwidth thinking about how I'm going to find this deer. And, you know, I'm all wrapped up in this mission or whatever you want to call it. But I also need to be realistic about the possible negative possibilities. I'm not wishing this. I'm not, I'm not giving into this fate. I am just being realistic about the possibility. Hey, a neighbor could kill him. Someone else could kill him. He could get hit by a truck and all these plans, all this work I've done specifically to try to kill this one deer, I can all go out the window. So I'm going to, and I already have, I've had like a little mental conversation with myself saying, Hey, this is a possibility. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to do when that happens? Are you going to sulk and moan and give up on the season? Or are you going to, you know, regroup and go find something else, somewhere else, and, and find another fun thing to do for this right. season? So I've kind of already tried to mentally prepare myself for that so that when it happens, if it happens, I'm not going to be devastated and kicking and screaming on the floor. I'm going to, you know, take the punch and move on. That's so all you can do. That's, that's all you can, you can do. do. To have that positive mindset, but prepare for negative possibilities. I think that's something that in so many parts of the deer hunting experience can help you. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months. Wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription. 
and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. What else do you want to talk about, Josh? How about, here's a high-level one that, again, this isn't rocket science. This is nothing new to anyone, but it's something that I think you just have to get knocked on the head with over and over and over and over with, which is don't get lazy with your access and your exit. Don't cut your corners when it comes to getting into your tree stands or out of your tree stands without spooking deer. Because if you're educating your deer, this goes right back to the very first thing we talked about. The first sit is the best. You don't get a first sit if you let them know you're coming in on the way you're there. And you don't get to enjoy future first sits if every deer in your property knows that you're leaving at the end of the night and walking through a cut cornfield and you're spooking 50 deer every single night. You got to have a plan in place for how to deal with access and exit. So today when we hiked in, we had had to deal with slightly less than optimal winds. We had a plan for how we were going to access this as best as possible, thinking about wind, thinking about scent control. And then when we had to exit tonight, you and me were talking through, okay, how do we get out of here without spooking these deer that got to these fields? You wait a while. I'm going to sneak out this back way a little bit. Um, you just don't want to bust these deer. And again, I'm not claiming this to be rocket science. This is just a, hey, this is your once this week reminder, you got to take it serious. Yep. Well, especially like just to go into a little bit about tonight. I mean, first sit, really good sit. Made some great observations that we can use to our advantage tomorrow which could potentially be another quote-unquote first sit in a little different spot, mix it up a little bit, um, move and adjust our setups to what the deer are doing, similar wind direction. So we, you know, I had deer all over me, so I just had to wait to get out of there, um, try to get out of there as quiet as we can so we don't muck it all up for tomorrow. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is that you ha- we had this great first sit. We had this great observation. We had this great new intelligence, this new scouting intel that we can use to, to hopefully put a kill, make it happen tomorrow. But if we got lazy with our exit, we could throw all that out the door because we might educate all those deer, and then tomorrow they're going to do something totally different. Yep. So it's one of those things that can just have this really disproportionate effect. It can really change things. It can take all your hard work and, and just stomp on it like grapes. So, so don't let that be the crux that ruins what you're doing. And it's, it's, again, it goes back to planning these things out ahead of time. Think through, okay, what's the challenge of getting in or out of here, and how do I count for that? Is this a spot I just can't hunt in the night, in the or sorry, in the evenings? Is this a spot I just can't go to in the mornings? Is this a spot that I have to convince my wife to come drive out here and pick me up? Um, Whatever you got to do, think about those things and understand that it's it's something that has to be part of every decision when it comes to picking where you're hunting and when you're hunting. That has to be at the very forefront of that decision-making process. How many is that, Josh? I don't know. I was about to ask you how many we've gone through. 
you know what I did here is I wrote down more than 10. I got on a roll and I just started writing things down. So I don't even know. Let me yeah. see here. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Two more. Two more. Okay. Uh, this is one more tactical thing. And it's a little bit of a, it's nothing too special to trick you, but it's something that's helped me out in a lot of situations. And this is the idea of the, uh, you, it's, it's easy to get tunnel vision with the places that you hunt. You can get so focused on the little the spots you hunt and the property that you hunt that you, what's the saying? You, you miss the forest for the trees. You don't zoom out and look at the bigger picture. So my reminder to everybody is to remember to look at the big picture. Don't get too obsessed with these two trails and how deer are getting between that little ravine and that swallow or that uh, swale. That's important, but also what you can do is zoom out, literally zoom out on the maps and look at how your little property fits into the bigger scheme of things or look at your property with new eyes and try to say, okay, if I had never hunted this place and I was looking at this as a brand new property from above, what would I think? Where are the places that look particularly appealing? Because if you've got 20 years of history in place, it's very easy to get sucked into the same old, same old stuff. And this is what grandpa did. This is what we did. And this is just what you do. Or this is what has always worked for me. But getting those fresh eyes on a property and, and looking at it from a high level and trying to try, start the simplest and then work down, it's a really powerful way to come to new ideas. So that's something like before the hunting season opens or soon after, I'd encourage everyone to try to, to try to do this, to try to look at your spots, whether it's a public land area or your land that you own or lease or have permission on, try to, try to, tr as best as you can. This is again, it's like a mental exercise. You can't completely do this, but try to say, okay, if I didn't know anything about this, if I was looking at this as a brand new place, what would the spots be that I key in on? Or how do I think deer would move through here? Or how does this property fit into the square mile? Or how do deer get from that corner of the square mile to this corner of the square mile? You might start to see trends or ideas or patterns that could help you in your little tunnel vision world, but you never would notice if you only lived in that tunnel vision world. Yep. So look at the big picture. And that's number nine. Number 10, I think we will... I've got three good ones to choose from, Josh. I'm just going to say them all. I'm going to call it 10. <laughs> Execute on the plan. You know what to do. If you listen to this podcast, if you love this kind of stuff, you know most of the things you're supposed to do. I say this a lot, but this is one of the hardest things we have as hunters. And it goes back to the whole little things matter, the whole every inch counts. It's doing the shit that you, you, that you know has to get done, but it's hard to do. Right. It's hard to do all the little stuff. It's hard to get up early. It's hard to make sure you packed everything and double-checked. It's hard to wake up eight days in a row. It's hard to walk that extra half mile to make sure you're not blowing deer out of the field. All those things are hard. What's easy is to skip things. What's easy is to say, ah, it'll be fine today. What's easy is to say, mm, it's raining outside. I'm going to watch college football, um, unless you like the Big Ten. Um, you know, <laughs> but... If you can make this promise to yourself, and every year I try to do it, and I'm never, I'm, not, I'm never perfect at this, and maybe some people are. I'm not perfect. I can't nail this all the time. But every year, I try to have kind of a mental little pep talk, you know, at the beginning of the season, and then usually at the beginning of the rut, like, hey, you got to do better than you did last year, at least. Execute on this thing. You, you know the things to do. You have a plan. You've done the work. Now you just have to follow through on it. And maybe, maybe you don't try to you know, bite it all off at one time. Yeah. Pick, pick the one or two things that you know you really struggle with the most that consistently every year that you struggle with, pick those and, and try to, to fix those this year. And then maybe pick something else next year and, you know, you'll get that ball rolling downhill and you'll be good to go. Yeah. And that applies to like all of these ideas, right? A lot of different high level little, little reminders here and, I don't think any of us could probably try to focus on all of these, but if each one of us could pick one of these things to really focus on this year and make a real tangible difference there, you're all of a sudden having a better deer hunting season. Which brings me to the last thing, which is something that Andre DeQuisto talked about a week, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and it really stuck with me, was this idea of trying to overcome our fear of failure. 
And it's something that I realized as he was talking about this that I've had a lot over the last decade. As I've learned more and more about you know hunting mature bucks, you know, I'm, I don't know, what was it, 12, 13 years ago now? How old am I, 33? I was about 20. Yeah, so about 13 years ago, I decided, hey, I'm going to start try to start shooting big old bucks. And the first things I read and many of the people that I was learning from early on, it was all about how to not screw up. And, and some of the things we've talked about today are related to how to not screw up, how to keep deer from getting educated. That's very important. But at the same time, back to the baseball analogy, if you constantly are bunting because it's like a safe thing to do, you're never going to hit a home run. A home run. Sometimes you do have to take that swing. Sometimes you do have to get aggressive. And that comes with experience. It comes with time. It comes with knowing the right times to strike. Um, but I'm working on this year to try to not be so afraid to fail and instead be a little bit more, I'm not sure what the right word is, but prepared to succeed or, or, or reaching for the success. Sometimes you got to go get it. You can't always wait for it to come to you. It's it's like there's two approaches. There's the wait around and just don't screw up enough until the deer makes a mistake approach, or there's a go for it, go for it, go for it until you get the success. And you make a bunch of mistakes along the way. You screw up a bunch of stuff along the way, but if you swing for the fences enough times, you will get that home run. And you only need one home run a year to be a pretty happy hunter. Um, there's a lot of circumstantial stuff that can change how you actually execute on this. You like... You don't want to go hunt bedding areas every single time if you have a 20-acre property. That's the only thing you can hunt. Um, but I do think there are opportunities, at least speaking for myself, where I can get more aggressive in a smart way, in a, a well-planned way, yep. um, that in the past I was probably you know, worried that, oh, that's, that's too risky or that's you know, too aggressive for this time of year, for this kind of property, for the state. Um, but maybe that's a lot of just what other people are telling me. Um, why not go learn those things for yourself and see if you can pull it off? And right. if you can't pull it off, what do you learn from it? Ask why after the situation. Learn from it. Control what you can control. Let go of the things you can't. Execute the damn plan. Be positive, but prepare for the negative possibilities. <laughs> and These uh, things just all, it all go, just wrap together. it all right up in a nice little bow there, Mark. That was nice. Yeah, if you can do those things, you are set for quite possibly your best deer hunting season ever. Maybe that's literally, maybe that's just emotionally or fun or whatever, but I do think and I hope some of these ideas can help you out, whether this is your first hunting season or your 45th. Um, I think there's some things in here that, that each and every one of us could could think about a little bit more. So those are my reminders leading to the hunting season. I'm excited for all of you. I, I, I'm excited for myself. I'm excited for you, Josh. And let's just give the people the story of what happened tonight because we got to Idaho. We drove 25 hours straight from Michigan all the way through the night. We got to my place out here. Um, we did some scouting on a property, lots of other hunter sign, bunch of trail cameras, tree stand. Um, so that was a little disheartening, but we prepared for this. Yep. Um, I had scouted several other places this summer. So I had one place in particular that I was very excited about. Um, I think I talked about this with Dan in one episode, but I'll just for those that aren't familiar, I'll get you up to speed just a little bit. I I basically had been roaming Idaho looking for places where public land intersected with uh, river bottom cover, which is usually where you find good whitetail populations out west. And then I was trying to then verify that after after finding these places on maps, then I go and verify in person. Like, can you get access in here? Um, does it actually look like there's food around it that the deer would be feeding on? Can you hunt it with certain wind directions? Are there actually deer in here? So I went and visited a bunch of places, drove all over the place, um, hiked in some of these spots, and eventually found one of them that I really liked. I snuck in there in the last couple hours of daylight, started seeing deer crossing a little opening. I, I, I hunkered down, watched this area for a while, then I snuck up to a field edge right at the edge of the public and watched several nice bucks and a bunch of deer go out in this alfalfa field. So right there I, I ascertained, number one, there's quality deer on this piece of public land. Number two, I figured out, hey, these deer are going, going to this field. Here's where they're bedding. Here's where they're feeding in a general idea. And then I went and I left with a little bit of daylight left and went and drove the outside roads to see other food sources to see, you know, are there more deer coming to other fields? What's the kind of big picture 
of what we have here as a possibility. That all led to us today. We checked spot number one, determined there's some other people in there. So the idea was let's go into spot number two. I can tell you right out the gate that there's going to be deer probably feeding in this alfalfa field, and I'm pretty sure they're betting on these you know, river bottom stuff over to the north. Um, and you and I snuck in with a game plan to try a first night hunt with what goals to observe and learn and, you know, still be in position that maybe we yeah. can get lucky in that number one. Yeah. I think we, we definitely put our, we both put ourselves in positions that I think we, we could potentially have shot, shot opportunities, but then also be able to kind of see what's going on with the, with this piece of, uh, public land and, and what's going on with it and what the deer, how they're using it. And, um, yeah, I've I've had a I had a night like I don't think I've ever had in the woods before, just with nonstop action. Um, it started off slow. I mean, we got in there pretty early um, just to make sure we had some time to check it out and knew what we were doing and knew where we were going. And um, but we had a jeez, uh, what was that? Maybe two hours before dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, first buck popped out in the alfalfa field. We were you know, uh, it's going kind of slow. And then all of a sudden first deer came out. Um, and then from there on out, it was just a whirlwind of trying to keep track of the deer that I saw and, and trying to keep track of where they were coming out, um, how they were using the the bedding area and, and coming out into the food source. And, um, you know, it, and so to back up real quick, Josh, yeah. just want to explain how the two of us set up differently. Sure. Um, we had you set up kind of on the edge of this field so that you could shoot in the public land cover on our side, but you could at least glass the alfalfa field on the private land. The idea being that we really wanted to know, A, are there deer still coming out to feed out here? And B, if so, where are they leaving the yep. public land from? Yep. If we could figure that out, then we would know on night number two where to go set up. Yep. Um, so that's where you went. I went back in the cover closer to the bedding areas to try to see, okay, is this where they are? I didn't know, excuse me, we weren't able to be out here for the first couple nights of the season. So we're in here night number three of the season. So I was a little worried, you know, did a bunch of guys pound this the first couple nights and all that bed to feed stuff isn't going to be happening as visibly out closer to the field. We might have to be tight to the bedding area. So I thought, you know, if you're on the observation stand near the food source, you can see what's happening out there. I could be a little tighter to the cover, a little bit farther in, and we'll kind of see which situation we're dealing with. And pretty quickly it became apparent that your situation was, was pretty good. Because <laughs> yep. I saw some deer, but nothing like you saw. I saw two does, a fawn, a little six-pointer, a spike, and like a nice little two-year-old eight-pointer. Um, and that was all about in the last hour of daylight for me. Um, but that's what I saw. So like seven deer. You saw 70, 80 deer or something like that. I couldn't, I couldn't keep track. You've never had a night like that? I've never that had ever, a night right? like that, no. Best no. night ever? Probably. Yeah, I mean, every time I turned around, there was more deer. Like, And I could tell they were different ones because they kept feeding out into the middle of the self-alpha fields. I mean, it, by the time you know daylight was gone, there there was 80 deer in that field. I mean, it was crazy. I've never seen anything like it. How many bucks? Um, 25 or 30. Ugh. I saw one bachelor group of 10 bucks come out, another seven bucks just before uh, last light. And I had saw, I think I was keeping track on my phone, I think I saw eight bucks before those two groups. Um, you can so, never say that I gar hole you. <laughs> yeah, that you're I, right. I, you, I didn't put you in a bed. Not no. that you picked your own spot, but I certainly didn't. Uh, no, no. We, yeah, so the best spot. we you know. <laughs> It was incredible. I mean, just there's deer coming out everywhere and trying to keep track of where they were coming out and, and eventually just go, okay. I, th- I think maybe out of those 25 or 30 bucks, maybe three or four of them were like mature bucks that like good shooter bucks. Um, and I want to take a step back to just say this is absurd. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. This is not normal for no. most people or for us. Um, I don't. Yeah, this is nuts. We, we've kind of like we've that. kind of stumbled on them. My scouting worked out. Got a little lucky too. Found a little honey hole here that's hard to get to. You got to walk a long ways from the road. It's relatively tough to access public land in an area that not a whole lot of people are interested in whitetails. And you got good food and good cover. All these things kind of line up to have this kind of underutilized resource where there's a whole bunch of deer yeah. and a bunch of 
nice bucks. Um, and knock on wood, we're in the middle. And of them. they seem like healthy. I mean, we saw a bunch of I saw a bunch of fawns, a bunch of does with with twin fawns, and so that's exciting too from like a like a quality standpoint. Yeah. Like these animals are getting the food that they need, and they've got the security cover that they need. I mean, get they've got everything right there, and um, they don't have to venture very far for any of it. I don't yeah. think so. So so um, you were set up on the edge of the field. Yep. You had a buck. You had one shot opportunity. I did. I did. I passed. Almost a, happened. I passed a nice as a nine point. I think he's probably a two and a half year old. And you know, my personal goals are like a three and a half year old. And I was clipped in on my bow, and I was looking at. I, I may regret it later. I may regret it, regret it by the end of the week um, if if another opportunity doesn't arise. But um, yeah, I was uh, I was uh, this close to uh, taking a shot tonight. Just. Um, I wasn't quite ready to be done though either yeah. on the first night after that kind of action. So yeah, so everything else though was was kind of out of range by a little yeah, bit at least. Yeah, most most things were out of range. I th- out of all those deer, I think I maybe had I don't know five or six within range, um, and then some of that was on the private that the alfalfa field was. They couldn't shoot into there. Right. Um, but there were a few deer that would have been within range. Um, there. So yeah, I, I think maybe five to six deer were probably within range, and then everything else was, I don't know, you know, some stuff was way out, and some stuff was within a hundred yards. So some micro adjustments, I think, to what I want to do tomorrow, and I should be uh, should be in the game. Yeah. So I didn't see anything I was interested in shooting where I was at. So I'm making a wholesale move to a new area. But you saw several bucks that you would like to shoot. So walk yep. me through your game plan for tomorrow. Yeah. How, so, how are you going to adjust? So we got a couple things to think about. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about was we did have another hunter in there tonight. Um, don't know when he came in. I never saw him come in. You never saw or heard him come in. Yep. Um, but we he just saw him come out. Yeah, we just saw him riding a, a bike, like a mountain bike, on the way out. I could see a my binoculars he had a bow in his lap and that was like 15 minutes before shooting light ended so that was one of those things oh geez you know I'm, i might as well start packing up now and no later did he go driving out did a bachelor group of seven bucks come out right where he rode his bike through um two of those being good shooter you know nice really That's solid crazy. eight points um within minutes after he left so um i don't know where exactly he was at but I think my plan is to um, move up on uh, a little bit towards the bedding area and further towards the east of where these deer were coming. They were they were coming out into the field about 70 yards from where I was set up. So if I can cut that distance down and then move a little further back into the cover, I'd like to try to intercept them a little bit sooner. I mean, they, they came out within the last couple minutes of shooting light. So if I can get back in there a little deeper without spooking anything, um, give myself a few, you know, a few extra minutes of daylight, hopefully to, to make something happen. What's your confidence level? Um, I'm pretty high. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Um, if you had to place like a probability that you're going to get a shot tomorrow, percentage wise, I don't like doing this. Yeah, I was gonna put ten bucks on it. You have to pay me ten bucks. Uh, I don't. I, you're putting me in a bad situation. I don't <laughs> like putting it because then I'm gonna have this pressure on myself. I don't know. I mean, so many things can go wrong. I mean, right now they're calling for the same wind, and you know, will they do the same thing? Maybe. Did they come out down there because they knew I was in there, and they, you know, right? It could be a number. The why? Uh-huh. You know, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. Um, or is that just the the trail they have been using for the last couple months in their summer feeding patterns. I, I don't know. Um, if they did exactly the same thing I, and I set myself up in a good, you know, tree where I could, could have some multiple shot operators, like different lanes and things, I, I don't know, 80%. I don't know. Confident, man. 75%, 80%. Positive mindset. If, if there's 70 or 80 deer running around there, maybe – Maybe it'll be some others that could get an arrow as well. Yeah. So, um, I'm really definitely excited. a target-rich environment. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited. I I didn't have nearly the night you had, but just hearing about your experience yeah. has me so excited. Just because a that makes me feel great about my own possibilities, but then also it's just going to be fun to see you get an opportunity. Well, and now, now that we said this, I probably won't see a single deer tomorrow or something. We like don't that. believe in jinxes. We don't but, believe in any of that kind of stuff. We're going to see what happens, and if it doesn't go well, 
We will adjust and adapt, and we'll figure out. Oh, I forgot. I did see a cow moose, too, oh, at yeah. the very end of the night. So that's a cow moose. Wild. That was pretty cool. Cool, cool critters, man. They're yeah. big, big animals. All right, Josh. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, just have, see if I can. I, I should be able to get some sleep tonight with uh, going on like 36 straight hours of not much sleep, but I don't yeah. know. I'll be thinking uh, about yeah. tomorrow afternoon. Everybody, if, if nothing we said here tonight makes any sense, just know that's because we drove all the way through the night and then hunted and worked all day today and it's like almost midnight when we're recording this and I think we neither one of us got more than two hours over the last 48 of sleep two hours of sleep over the last 48 hours so the fact that we've coherently spoken for 59 minutes and 56 seconds I think is downright miraculous that's a win so <laughs> we just got a good attitude and we've got the right yeah mindset right exactly so um yeah. With that said, I think uh, I'll let you guys get after it. For those of you that are starting your hunting seasons this week or have over the past couple of days, good luck. Get out there. Uh, I hope you can take some of these things into account and, and find them helpful. You know, one thing I didn't mention and, and should have mentioned, one of the very most important things on top of all these other reminders, on top of all these other ideas, ultimately have fun. Enjoy it out there. Don't get too worked up. Don't get too stressed. Don't make it work. Try to enjoy this thing. Put food on the table, spend time with your friends and family and enjoy the great outdoors. This is an awesome thing we get to do. It's a privilege. It's uh it's just good stuff. So, best of luck. Enjoy it. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.